Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the death. Why, hello and welcome to episode 149 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. This is the first episode of August 2015, and something I've been sitting on for quite some time, mostly because I haven't had the time to edit it. This is an interview I did with August Ragoni, the author of Eiji Tsuburaya, Master of Monsters, and this happened in May, right after Chayo had a crazy press conference in Los Angeles. Which is funny for the KaijuCast listeners because this happened immediately after I posted an interview with Brad Warner where the subject of Chayo came up because he worked at Subaraya Productions. You're going to hear us mention that interview. If you haven't listened to it, you might want to go check it out. That episode was released at the beginning of May. Now, there's another thing you should know about. This isn't necessarily something you need to listen to before you hear the conversation with August here, but the Kaiju Kingdom podcast, which is run by Chris Eaton and Jessica Sang, they are down in Los Angeles. Actually, I have an interview with them that I'll be posting sometime in the future. Chris actually went to this press conference. One of their most recent episodes actually details everything that happened in it. Like I said, you don't need to listen to it before you hear this conversation with August and myself. But if you haven't heard the Brad Warner episode, which is episode 141, you know, you might want to go check that out. I'll have a link in the show notes to it. One more little bit of information I wanted to throw out there is that since this happened in May, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that was like three months ago. This moves really fast, right? No, it doesn't. So everything that happened in May is actually still sort of on the table. Nothing's happened. No action from Subaraya has happened. No action from Shio. It's just basically been stagnant water. Now we're going to play a tiny little bit of music and then just get right into the episode. And then I asked August what he wanted to play during the episode. And so we're going to close it out with one song from the original Ultraman series. And then the next episode will be released pretty quickly. That's just a Yak Attack episode that's going to be posting, uh, I think, in about four or five days. So be on the lookout for that. And in the meantime, enjoy this interview with Mr. August Ragoni. You've probably heard him on the podcast before. You probably have a copy of his book, Eiji Tsuburaya, Master of Monsters, Defending the Earth with Ultraman, Godzilla, and Friends in the Golden Age of Science Fiction. Welcome back to the podcast, August Ragoni. Thank you, sir. Now, August is here because some crazy Ultraman news sort of exploded over the past couple of weeks. But before we dive in with August, I'm just going to recap very briefly some of the high points and the low points of this story and why we're even hearing this kind of stuff because we went over it with Brad, uh, Brad Warner, of course. First and foremost, Chayo is run by a guy named, uh, help me out, August, Sampote. Yeah. Well, you could, I don't know what the pronunciation is. I've always called him Sampote Tsunguenchai. Okay. Or as he's known in his directorial pseudonym for 
such fantastic movies as Crocodile, <laughs> uh, some Pote Sands. All right. Yeah. Mr. Sands appeared at Subaraya after some, I guess, faxes saying that they were being uh, embarrassed in the Asian market because Subaraya was packaging or, or broadcasting their show in Thailand. And apparently they thought or were saying that Chayo, their company, had the rights to do that. And ever since then, one piece of paper that is a handwritten note about these Chayo folks having the rights to, I think it's only, it's only like three or four Ultraman series. So it's Ultra well, Q, it, yeah, Ultraman, it's, uh, Ultra 7. If you don't mind me interrupting. Yeah, the, go for uh, it, please. Yeah, the, the document in question originally was a one-page contract using Subaraya Enterprise masthead. And that was the old ancillary rights arm of Subaraya Productions that was run by Noboro Subaraya, A.G. Subaraya's second son, who was CEO of the whole enterprise at the time, Subaraya Productions. And it's typed out, but it has weird references to the shows that I don't think the Japanese side would have ever written, like referring to Ultra 7 as Ultraman 7. It was written in English, and it was uh, signed by Noboru Subaraya, allegedly in pen, but in Japanese uh, business, it, they used to depend on the hanko, which is sort of a uh, – it's a stamp, basically, mm -hmm. yep. that is registered through the government, and um, that's the official – like your official signature. In the last, like, 20 years, there's been a lot of fakes of these signatures in Japan, these official government-regulated stamps, and so they've been trying to phase them out. So the whole thing sort of hinged on this one-page contract saying that he signed the tie rights over to Mr. Sands yeah. for Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra 7, Return of Ultraman, Ultraman Ace, and Ultraman Taro, plus the other superhero TV series, Jumborg Ace. So you had those titles, and then the two movies, Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army, the Hanuman movie. And the Jumbo Gaze movie, Jumbo Gaze and Giant. Right. Which were co-productions of Chayo and Subaraya. Gotcha. So those were legit co-productions then? Yeah, they were. Okay. And they were recognized in Japanese books and magazines, even though neither one of them had been released in Japan at all. Ever, okay, cool. On that's any well, form. Yeah, that's one of the things that we did not cover with Brad. I actually did not realize that they had an actual working relationship with Chayo. Yeah, they did. I mean, because, I think we maybe uh, you know, mentioned Chayo, it, but it uh, didn't go very far. Right. Well, Chayo licensed those shows. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those shows were popular in Hong Kong territory, Taiwan, all over Southeast Asia. Mr. Sanguen Chai had some kind of a – or Mr. Sands right. had, this, <laughs> had this relationship, quote, unquote, with Subaraya Productions when he was a, a young man. In 1962, he had visited Toho Studios and went on the set of several of the movies that were being produced at the time, including King Kong vs. Godzilla. And he has all these behind-the-scenes photos of his visits and, and meeting with the filmmakers. And, and I think he was just a rich kid who loved Japanese movies and wanted to go. And he went to visit and took all these pictures with all these personalities. And he visited, I guess, a couple of other times and met with Eiji and uh, sort of has transposed more importance of these photographs, you know, that they had some kind of a working relationship oh, right. together. Yeah, and yeah. that's where he claims that he gave Eiji Subaraya the idea to produce Ultraman in the first place in 1966. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't get to hear that story at all. That's... Yeah, he claims that yeah. he was completely responsible for the design of Ultraman as well. 
by showing pictures of various Buddha edifices from Thailand, like the Japanese don't have any themselves <laughs> to go by. And there's always conflicting stories. I mean, right. there was a point where obviously the relationship between Chayo and, and Subaraya was amicable because in the late seventies, there were books coming out that covered those movies that were co-produced, especially the, the Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army. That was released in Japan, actually. I have to take that back. That did get a theatrical release and a video release. Okay. The Jumborg Ace film never did. But it was sometime after that when Chayo produced this document and started asserting that they had these rights, which has been continuous till now. Yeah. Then Subaraya decided to completely not acknowledge any of their dealings in the past. So they sort of wiped out that existence of even the home videos that they released that went out of print, they're not repressing any of that. <laughs> right. The Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army or anything like that. They not even footnoted, but just completely erased them from their official history. <laughs> and that may have been advised by their legal counsel as well, because if they perpetuate that they've had this relationship, that it might be, uh, you know, used against them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you I know. can totally see... Someone just saying, you need to cut all ties immediately. With tie. With tie line. <laughs> cut the ties with the tie. Has anything significant <laughs> come out of a court case that would really have any difference to us fans here in America right. or anywhere else across right. the world, I guess? You know, it's gone back and forth and back and forth. And then one side wins a little bit. And then there's the appeals. And it goes back and forth. And then the other side wins something. So as of like, you know, 2007, there were things that were settled. You know, Sampote really wanted acknowledgement for the creation of the character, thereby allowing him to have worldwide rights to the merchandising and licensing of Ultraman Kith and Kin. Mm -hmm. Also asserting that not only did he own the design, that he would be acknowledged as the true creator of Ultraman. Well, as it went through the Tokyo Supreme Court, because this was fought both in Thailand and in Japan, back and forth. They said, well, we're going to accept this contract because we can't prove within reasonable doubt that the Honko stamp is fake. Okay. That contract only allows his company, Chayo Productions, the rights to those series I mentioned within Thailand. And he keeps challenging this contract. And they got it to the point where they were able to argue that they have the worldwide rights to those six shows oh. and, and the two movies. Okay. So the Tokyo Superior Court essentially allowed them to have the rights to distribute them. Television, home video, and there may have been one other platform. But, you know, at the same time that this was being argued out and fought, Chayo pushed forwards with creating their own new Ultraman doing live stage shows with them, and they did two productions that got sat on. Uh -huh. One with the Chinese company, it was Project Ultraman, and there was the other Ultraman film. And according to Mark Jarmillo, who has talked to some of the parties involved, not the Japanese side, but he's talked to Sampote, those films, especially a TV series Ultraman Project, that got sat on. And so it was apparently, according to some sources, it was in, finished in its entirety. And so it can't be released. Huh. Um, that's because according to the court order, while Sampote can market those shows that he has, he can't create new characters. He can't produce new films. 
or television series. So uh, that's what he's been trying to do. There's also been some quasi fight over the ancillary rights. So, you know, he was producing mass amounts of Ultraman toys 10 years ago in, in Thailand even. Uh-huh. So that got quashed. He was trying to export these to the United States as well and other territories, excluding Japan, obviously. And the interesting thing is that there are people in Japan who believe Sampote's side. <laughs> and, you know, these are fans, right? Right. And some of them are pro fans and writers, and some of them have gone to Thailand and met with Sampote and talked to him. And I've sat down and had dinner with them in Tokyo a couple times where, you know, they're going, oh, yeah, Tsuburaya screwed up. They signed away their rights. That's their contention. But they're not lawyers, and they're not people who settled the case. So you have these people fighting against each other, and every time Subaraya wins something back, Sampote appeals, opens up a whole new court case against them. So as it stands, they could license these things outside of the country, right. outside of Thailand. But they originally were only supposed to have the rights for Thailand, and they've kind of stretched this now. Uh-huh. So anyone who's really interested could, you know, really go back and read up on everything up to now. So recently, this has all exploded again. Of course. There's been yeah. a couple of, like, after the decision in 2007, you know, there's been a couple of things that have popped up. One of the things was that the courts decided that for his infringement, you know, by creating these newer characters and selling the rights to these foreign companies, like in Hong Kong, you know, or, or Taiwan – to produce these new Ultraman films or TV shows like Project Ultraman, that they weren't allowed to do that at all. Right. So they uh, were saddled with a, I think, a half a million dollar settlement and damages that were to be paid to Subaraya Productions, compounded by interest since the court cases started. And also, like, all legal fees were to be paid by Sampote. So that was in 2007? Yeah, that was in 2007. And I don't think he's paid them a dime. I think he's been just trying to fight this. You know, he's been appealing and appealing and appealing. Yeah. And the backwards thing that's being done now is Sampote is just exerting a loophole by which, since he has the right to the original Ultraman show and the other entities, that, you know, again, he could do whatever he wants with the characters that are in them. Right. Yeah. And that's why he's proposed this new Ultraman movie they announced recently in Hollywood. Yeah, this all, like, really reminds me of, you know, it's funny, last time we talked, uh, we ended up talking about Marvel Comics for, uh, we had a thing talking, we were talking about Spider-Man, the Japanese Spider-Man, but right. uh, now I'm bringing up Marvel Comics again, this totally reminds me of the loosey-goosey agreements that they had between the artists and the creators and the uh, the Marvel brass, I guess you could say, and then the right. repercussions that happened decades later when, right. uh, you know, all of a sudden, no, everything that you guys did absolutely belongs to Marvel, you know. And, right. Um, but this almost seems like the reverse of, the, <laughs> of that in a sense. Yeah, you had one guy who had actually no creative input with the studio. The two movies that they produced – the Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army and the Jumborg Ace movie, which the Jumborg Ace movie uses a pre-existing character. Giant was in another movie that Chayo did earlier. Okay. All the effects were shot in Japan for both of those movies. All the visual effects scenes. Uh-huh. The Hanuman or the Monster Army movie with the Ultra Brothers, that was, I believe, shot in Thailand. But it was a Japanese director they had to send over. Okay. And that was Shohei Tojo who worked uh, with Subaraya since Ultra Q, and he was an assistant director at Toho before that. 
And then he went on to do the Super Sentai series for Toei in the 80s. And then you had the Jump Work Ace movie. I believe that was done by a Chinese director. And that was shot either in Taiwan or Hong Kong. I'm a little rusty on that one because sure, yeah, no my, yeah, my main area of interest are the Japanese films and the productions themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All these other offshoots are almost sort of like footnotes yeah, in, yeah. in a way. So there was a really great DVD put out of that in France by the guys from Tokuscope. Uh, Damien Martinet and a bunch of guys associated with them put out this DVD of the film. I think it was last year that Damon Foster worked on and and (laughs) did a mock English dub track for it. Oh, cool. Because they had the French language version on there, and then they had Damon's mock English dubbing on there, which is kind of cool. But that's the only official release I think that thing has gotten out of Asia, and I don't think it's really official. I think it was a guy in France had a 35-millimeter print of it, the French version. And they just put it out. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I, I'm actually yeah. a fan of that kind of thing. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about this thing right. that happened in Hollywood. May 12th is when the right. the uh, it's about, Realm cast. Yeah, yeah our, about our 10, friend, 12 days yeah, ago. Yeah. Our friend Chris from uh, the Realm cast and the Kaiju Kingdom right. podcast broke this news. And that's, I mean, this was really the first time I saw the article. And then later on, the Tokusatsu Network had a little bit more information Right. But essentially, Chayo and another group of Caucasian men, I'm not sure what company they represent or what uh, faction they represent. I know they represent Chayo, but they were also at this event as well. And they had several statues, uh, several collectibles, and they announced plans for Blu-rays and also a brand new movie. Well, to kind of break down who the white guys were. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I have since kind of slipped my mind exactly who they are, but they're they're Hollywood filmmakers. A couple of them are people who worked on the production ends of brokering things like Transformers. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're the real legit guys, but I think part of the money is coming from another American source that teamed up with Sampote. Sampote's been going to a couple of conventions in L.A. And if you've ever heard of the Frankensons collectible shows... Those are kind of well-known, almost just dealer-driven events. Yeah, yeah. They had Sampote out there a couple of years ago in 2013, I think it was. They had spoken to him about working together. Mm -hmm. Because a couple of years back, people might remember there was a website went up and they were promising all this 50th anniversary Ultraman stuff coming out. Yeah, I absolutely And they announced DVDs, they announced books. Yep. Well, the guy that they partnered with apparently was a guy who was running a bootleg Ultraman video website. Oh. <laughs> right? So somehow he approached Sampote or they approached him and they decided to work together. And this guy took the money and ran. He took all Sampote's money. He said, I'll handle everything. I'll get all the printing. And all they ever printed was, I think, a couple of samples. Right. You know? Yeah. I think Mark actually has one of those book samples. Yeah. 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 So the guy took the money and ran. So there's somebody who actually ripped off Sampote, you know, so maybe that's a little, a little poetic, poetic justice. <laughs> yeah, a little right there. karmic retribution. And so he's been coming over here, and apparently there's some talk about some of the people involved in Frank and Sons maybe being, you know, involved in this. I can't say anything 100% concrete because there's nothing official in print, and I'm only going by hearsay. But they went and scouted some producers. I can see how they might have all this paperwork and think that they're really doing something here, but they're really limited by those Tokyo Superior Court decisions. The last one in 2007, you know, he was (laughs) – 
He was ordered to pay a half a million of dollars in damage by trying to make new productions. Right. And he used all original characters that they came up with. And like Ultraman Elite, talk about a lame name. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's no way that the courts would allow this. Well, I think what Sampote's banking on is that the Japanese aren't as litigious as Americans are. You know, they're not always hammering people in court. They usually ask people not to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's only really when the Japanese government gets involved, when they get their hackles up, like what they've had a big problem with, you know, bootlegging of anime. And it took a bunch of different companies that actually wanted to take action. And the same thing with scanlations of manga in Japan. Okay. Well, scanlations are the translations, but you know what I'm talking about. So people were scanning manga and also, you know, uh, uploading them for people to download. Of course, yeah. So the Japanese government, several companies that were actually wanting to go after people for breaking the law, it was had to be done in this sort of this conclave way where it was a bunch of interested parties and the government joining forces. Usually you won't have one company go after these bootleggers by uh -huh. themselves. Right. So Subarai Productions had been many years a family-run smaller company that really depended on all the Ultraman licensing to, you know, stay in business. And, of course, licensing the, the back catalog of all their shows. And then once they started really generating more new income from, especially in the late 90s with the revival, you know, you had Ultraman Zayerth, begat Ultraman Tiga, and then you had this cascade, you right. know, that has led us to this point with uh, the shows and productions that Subarai is continually doing that are new. And part of the reason <laughs> that they're continuing to make new stuff is also that they have to show that they are using the property. Oh, yeah, to that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's even something we do here in the States. If you have a copyright that and that copyright is about to lapse, unless there's some sort of creation clause, you have right. to show that you're still using that and then yeah. pay for it as well, of course. You've right. got to pay for the right to have the copyright. Right, and so that's why a lot of remakes are made in the United States is because they're also re-copywriting <laughs> that, that title or that script. Or of whatever. course, yeah. That's another way to do it. That's cheaper than actually just going through the whole legal process is you just make another film. <laughs> that's hilarious. Extends, that that's cheaper than going through the, the legal process. And they profit off of it, obviously. Of we're course. We're going to make a new movie. We're going to make money off of that at the same time. And then, you know, you have overseas sales and et cetera, et cetera. You know, part of the problem is, you know, Ultraman's never been able to really break the American market. Mm-hmm. Subaru hasn't been able to break that American market after, you know, the initial series and from 66. And that was brought to the United States and premiered in the spring of 1968. Ultra Q, of course, was dubbed by CBS Films. And we talked about that in a previous podcast all about Ultra Q. Years and years ago. Yes. Years and years ago. Many years ago <laughs> in a world. Um, so, uh, you know, that failed because that was the transition from black and white TV to color in the United States. And by the time they got it done and was trying to market it, stations and networks weren't interested in a black and white show that wasn't already run on television before. They weren't interested in a new black and white series. Apparently, CBS dropped the ball. United Artists picked it up. And that's how United Artists got involved with distributing Ultraman. Mm -hmm. And then United Artists had, you know, a marketing campaign for Ultra Q and they couldn't sell it to anyone themselves. You know, it was until years later that I discovered that they also had Ultra Q because of uh, the uh, promotional material that they had printed up for it. But uh, they did sell it to some 
foreign territories, apparently, whatever. But that's we're getting off track. I know but, it's hard for me to stop you talking about Ultra Q because I love the show so much. So it's an awesome show. <laughs> but anyway, yes. But anyway, back so you know, you've got to this point where you know nobody really has followed up with it, and in Subaraya's efforts up till the '90s, you know, had been pretty mousy. You know, they would take out full page ads in Variety, the greatest TV shows ever made from Subaraya Productions. Big pictures of the Ultraman characters and whatnot. But no one really picked those shows up. And I know that there were people interested. In the 70s, they could have sold those, but they just weren't aggressive enough. Mm -hmm. And there was also the backlash of American TV in the 70s, where children's television was deemed too violent. I think it was CBS did a news story on Japanese superheroes because they had exploded in Hawaii in 75 and 76. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, the whole Generation Kikaida thing came out of that, all the Toei heroes. And they were shown on Japanese-language television with English subtitles. One show became really popular. That got them to bring over a couple more, and that just exploded in Hawaii for several years. And then Subaraya Productions, this ties into everything, and Noboro Subaraya went and established an office in Honolulu called Subaraya Hawaii Incorporated. And they decided, well, you know, those Toei shows like Kikaida and Common Rider, those are okay, but we make the better shows, mm -hmm. right? So they figured that what they wanted to do is show the best of what they had made up to that point, which is we're looking at 1974, 75. And so they picked Ultra 7, and they had that dubbed locally in Honolulu. I believe it was the University of Hawaii Drama Department. They got to dub this. That's cool. And it was run in Hawaii on uh, the local NBC affiliate, KHON2 at the time. And the other shows that were Kikaida and Rainbow Man and, and Kamen Rider V3 and all these shows that were running. I mean, they had dozens of them going. Uh, and the anime, the first anime subtitle was on this station called KIKU 13 in Hawaii, which Kiku is still around. It's no longer Channel 13. But they were, you know, subtitling samurai dramas and police shows because you have this multi-ethnic population in Hawaii and a lot of multi-generational Japanese. Yeah. Uh, so, one of my co-hosts, Cindy, she has very fond memories of being able to see subtitled kaiju films and, and yokai movies when she was a kid. Yeah, because those played in theaters as well. I mean, there were a number of theaters in, in Honolulu. But, you know, so Subaraya opens this office. This is a prime place, they think, to break into the United States market is start with Hawaii. Sure. You know, Time Magazine wrote an article on how popular Kikaida was in Hawaii. So that got the attention of a lot of people. CBS, meanwhile, did a news story. I had was completely unaware of this at the time. I, I had friends in school go, did you see the thing on the news? They had Ultraman on the news. And I went crazy because... Nobody had VCRs. Right, yeah. Nobody could really describe it well to me. It was like the, you know, the blind men describing an elephant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I go, what was it? What did you see? And there was some special uh, on sci-fi movies, the history of sci-fi movies, somewhere in the very early 80s. And uh, that actually used some of the footage that they shot, which they went behind the scenes on Ultraman Tarot. Oh, okay, cool. Shot this, this footage. And so the story basically, uh, the original news story was network news, I guess this was, that uh, Japanese television shows are really popular. The superhero stuff's really popular in Hawaii, but it'll never come to the mainland because it's far too violent. So those were written off. We couldn't get those, you know. Yeah. And in the 80s, it only got a little worse. And then the double effect of that was that TV shows made for kids, starting especially with He-Man, is where the toys were made first and the show was made after. And oh, yeah. the only yeah. 
use of the show was to sell the toys. And that's how you got Transformers and, you know, and everything else. That's my jam. That's my yeah. old school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's your generation, man. Yeah. You know, so if you didn't have merchandise, nobody wanted to show. So even though they were interested in parties and the Ultraman shows, there was no way to merchandise them because the merchandise had to be out first and you had to get a big company to do them. Syndicators and networks didn't want to look at it unless there was a toy line attached to it. In the eighties, you had to have 85 episodes to get a syndication deal. So there, that's how, tr- that's how Robotech came about. And that's why it's three different shows combined. And uh, it's Macross and the Southern Cross and most Pieta. The reason why it's the three shows is that this guy, Carl Maycheck, who, who put it together, uh, who was a big fan of, of Macross and tried to market it earlier as a, a standalone, couldn't get it done because the standards and practices were 85 episodes. So he, uh, going with uh, Harmony Gold, who had the rights to a bunch of the stuff in the Tatsunoko Productions catalog, went through it and found two shows that maybe would fit together <laughs> to kind of tell this Robotech saga. And he <laughs> took the other two shows, and that's how it became 85 episodes. So you have all these changing patterns in American syndication television that have prevented Ultraman, in a way, from getting here. By the time you get into the 90s, you know, you have Power Rangers where now the heroes could actually punch the bad guys because there was about a decade of children's television where superheroes were not allowed to punch the bad guys. This is true. I'm not making this up. Buzz Dixon, who was a comic book writer and wrote a lot of children's television, wrote an antidote for a fanzine back in the late 70s or early 80s called Fantazine, which was published by the Cartoon Fantasy Organization Los Angeles, which sort of was the epicenter for the whole anime fandom in America. Um, and he wrote an article about how much animators and uh, admired Japanese animation at that time because they weren't restricted. And he said, like, let's say I'm writing an episode where I have Thor fighting a bad guy. Thor cannot hit him. Thor can't throw his hammer at him. For the hero to defeat the bad guy, he would have to, let's say, throw the hammer at a rock that would cause a chain reaction that would knock out the bad guy. <laughs> so the hero would have to set up a whole mouse trap. But there was, oh, wow. there was no contact between the protagonist and antagonist allowed. And that sort of carried over when you get into shows like, you know, uh, like G.I. Joe. Yeah. You know, where, where they shoot one million rounds and no one even gets nicked. <laughs> yeah. Plus they're shooting red lasers and blue lasers. <laughs> yeah. You know, at one yeah. point it, it turned into red lasers and blue lasers and no, and nobody gets hurt. So, you know, television comes about face sort of in the nineties. It's a little more acceptable to have like, you know, the Power Rangers and that kind of brand of entertainment by then. Ultraman's old. People were looking for the next Power Rangers thing. People were trying to jump on getting another Japanese show. And of course, Super Eye Productions was at every international television sales convention and, and, uh, you know, con film festival and going, we have Ultraman. We've got <laughs> dozens of Ultraman shows. And no one wanted that back catalog. They said, this looks old and kids aren't going to go for this old stuff. And at one point when I was working with the American office of uh, Subaraya Productions, Ultracom Incorporated, they had a proposal that they worked out that if they could solicit producers and sponsors in the United States, they were going to do this show called something like the Ultra Force, which would have been in the vein of Power Rangers, where you would have a team of Ultramen. Okay. So it would be, I think, four Ultramen, brand new characters, all new designs, fighting villains, and you would have the live action acting scenes shot in the United States and all the effects shot in Japan. No one wanted that either. Right. No one wanted to invest it. And the only thing they ever managed to sell was to deke 
you know, the people who brought you Inspector Gadget. That's right. <laughs> uh, and they sold, you know, uh, Gridman, which became Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. So, you know, Super Eye has had a rough time in the United States. Yeah, it sounds like it. They've had a rough time with timing. And at one point, Kate McMains, who was the uh, person in charge at Ultra Com Incorporated, the Super Eye office in L.A., the Sci-Fi Channel was already going, was already up and running. And they were showing, in the mornings, they were showing things like Captain Scarlet and the old uh, Super Marionation shows and a lot of old Sci-Fi TV shows. Okay. I told them, you should try to get Ultraman on. The original Ultraman on. At that time, remember, this is 1994. This is before Chayo started, you know, hammering Super Eye Productions with faxes and claims in 1997. Still right. several years away. They were trying to market the original Ultraman show on nostalgia value, you know. Okay. Somebody came and licensed and had a, a license contract to do the series per one volume. And that was at Expressions in Animation. And they put out one volume of the first four episodes of Ultraman. Oh, and right. On VHS, yeah. Yeah, and that's a whole another story. But anyway, so they were looking at really trying to market the old show because there's a nostalgia factor of the people who grew up with the original Ultraman show because it was syndicated from like 1968 through the early 80s. Okay. So you got like two, three generations of people who possibly potentially saw Ultraman growing up. You know, they're trying to market this and I tell them, hey, man, you got to try to sell it to the sci-fi channel. That's when everybody was excited about the sci-fi channel. Yeah, yeah. They're showing all these great old shows and they're showing Captain Scarlet every morning. It's awesome. I haven't seen that since like 1982, you know. They approached them and they decided the best way that they were going to market the show was to do a barter trade. That's where you give the show to a syndicator for free so they could put their own commercials in it. Okay. Right. I think you get a kickback from that. But the syndicator or the sponsor gets to run all their own ads, and so they make 100% profit on the advertising because they're not paying for the TV show. Right. So they offered Sci-Fi Channel, take Ultraman for free, all 39 episodes. Just put it on the air so it's back in the public eye. Yeah, yeah. So fans can see it. And then we can start, like, you know, as Subaraya LA, you know, Ultracom Incorporated, we can start selling T-shirts and start licensing. Yeah, makes sense to me. From there. So you get to show the show for free, you know, and then we'll start producing merchandising and products or getting the licensing out there for this stuff. And Sci-Fi Channel said, no, no, not interested. Thanks. I don't think I've uh, ever hated the Sci-Fi Channel more than I do right now. (laughs) (laughs) And and I usually don't like them so much. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, ever since they canceled Farscape, you know, um, (laughs) welcome to the Farscape podcast. Somebody out there has so to have, have a Farscape all this podcast. bad trouble going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you have all this bad trouble on, and then there's, you know, like Chayo nipping at the heels after a person who allegedly signed the contract passes away. By the way, thanks for going on about how Ultraman has had a problem getting a foothold in the United States. One of the things I love about talking to you is you know so much about so many things that you can take the conversation in a crazy direction. And at one point I was like, all right, we were going to start veering. And then I started getting really, really interested in what you're saying. (laughs) So there you go, listeners, the more you know. Yeah, put blinders on me and some reins and just pull on them when you need to. (laughs) All right. So I guess what I'm wondering about is what is your opinion I think I know, just based off of what you said already, on that original document that Chayo has with the chop. Do you think it's real, fake, or who knows? You know, I'm going to sort of put it in the who knows, but I'm not likely to... uh It's highly doubted by okay. myself. By yourself, all right. Yeah, that's my opinion, is I, I'm very suspect of it. 
You know, there have been rumors that Subaru Productions was in trouble for a little while financially. Uh-huh. So the alignment makes sense. I think it was Sampote intimated that there was an amount of money given to Noboru Subaraya as a loan. Uh huh. And then he couldn't pay off the loan, so he signed over the rights to the TV shows. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, there's that rumor. Okay. And, uh, you know, the company, when they first started, a lot of people, and it's, it's still perpetuated because I don't expect everybody to, you know, have a copy of my book which straightens out that whole matter of the alleged antagonism between uh, Toho and Subaru Productions. You know, a lot of people have spread the rumor and it's perpetuated that when Eiji Subaru founded Subaru Productions, even though he was still the, the main special effects head at Toho, that it was seen as a rival company and several things happened that Toho did nasty things because they always hated Subaru Productions. And the truth be told is that Toho was one of the founding entities of Subaru Productions. They were a financial investor from the very beginning. See, that's good. That's always good to know. Yeah. So they were a financial investor from the very beginning, and several producers at Toho were on the first board of directors at Subaru Productions. Okay, then. All right. And so one of, one of uh, squash one and of, rumors. I yeah, like one it. of Subaru's closest pals, a producer named Sananzumi Fujimoto, who produced a lot of movies. Was another big uh, producer at Toho. He was, you know, one of the founding directors. And we would have had to have written a much longer book if I was going to cover what happened after A.G. Subaraya died. Mm -hmm. After he passed, there's usually this one-year mourning period where a company has plans uh, or, or things on the docket. And if they're not already being produced, if they're about to go into production, uh -huh. you stop. Gotcha. I mean, not if you have all the actors lined up and everything's ready to go. But if you're planning stuff that for the next year, you have to put that on the back burner. So in 1969, they were planning possible new Ultraman shows, including a sequel to Ultraman and a sequel to Ultra 7. And it was down to one or the other, and they decided on the Ultraman one instead. And that was delayed until 71 and eventually became, you know, Return of Ultraman. Gotcha. But – when Subarai was producing Ultra Q, Ultraman, and Ultra 7, they were shooting all of those at a couple different studios. One of them was a Toho auxiliary studio that was known as the Tokyo Art Center that later became Toho Built. When they made that transition, when Subarai passed away, because Toho was involved in the board of directors and had a financial investment, they did a power grab and tried to seize control of the company. Oh, Toho did? Yes. Oh. I wrote about this in the liner notes to uh, Iron King when it was released by BCI Eclipse. In the liner notes booklet, I cover a little bit of this. And a lot of the people who were Subaru Productions employees jumped ship. And Toho seized control for a little while. So they started shooting the next several series from Return of Ultraman, Ultraman Ace, and Ultraman Taro were all shot at Toho proper. Okay. Toho Studios proper. Used a lot of their uh, assistant directors as directors, you know, because there was always this cooperation between the two companies prior. So you'd always have Toho actors in like Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra 7. And so that continued to, at Toho. And Subaru was able to wrestle power back and control the company by the time they made Ultraman Leo in 1974. Okay. So when that show went off the air in 75, it, it kind of left the company in financial straits. And so the timing between 1975, 1976, the lean year, you know, they go to Hawaii and they try to invest a lot of money in Hawaii and, uh, and Ultra 7 proves not to be that successful in Hawaii. 
people liked it and watched it, but maybe if they had done something like Ultraman Ace or something that was a little more in the same tempo as the Toei shows, like all Kikaida and, and Kamen Rider, you know, they may have won over, you know, Hawaiian kids a little more. Mm-hmm. And they dropped a lot of money in doing these big, spectacular Ultra 7 stage shows. And they did, you know, the theme song and they re-recorded the theme song in English and put that out as a 45. And, you know, they dumped a lot of money into production. And, and I was on a trip to Hawaii in 1977. It was like June, I think, of 77. And I was already aware that Subarai Hawaii existed. So we get there, and of course, like, you know, everybody else in my family is going, we're going to go to, you know, Waikiki, and we're going to go to this, the Hawaiian Cultural Center, and we're going to go see Don Ho in concert. Right, yeah. Or whatever, right? I know where this is going, yeah. What I did is I was watching TV. I was <laughs> I was watching K- KIKU TV 13 and watching all the subtitled Japanese stuff they had. And uh, I was going through the phone books. Well, I went to all the toy stores. <laughs> right, right. You know, I went to the Alamoana Shopping Center and I went to Shirokia Department Store and, you know, they had all kinds of crazy stuff. And they had this six foot bullmark store display still there of Gamora. And, uh, you know, I really wish we had cell phones back then, <laughs> or, or, you know, just for the fact of having a a megapixel camera. Yeah, yeah. At that time, you know, you had this you know, like a crappy 110 Instamatic. And if you didn't have a flashbulb, man, that photo is not coming out, brother. <laughs> so it was like, I can't take a photo of it. Ah, you know. So they had all this going on. And I went through the phone book and I found Subaraya, Hawaii. And I called them up and the phone just rang and rang and rang and rang and rang. And no one ever picked up. And I tried, I think, every day calling them. Uh, you know, apparently they had already closed shop by 76 and the year prior, they were still pumping the hell out of ultra seven, just the, the summer before that. So by 77, they were, they were done and already pulled up stakes out of Hawaii. So we haven't talked about this aspect on the podcast yet, uh, but was it last year or the year before Subaraya went back to Hawaii and started doing some, uh, some promo stuff there? Oh Yeah. Uh, they did a cooperation with, I'm probably going to mangle it, but it was one of the Hawaiian tourist bureaus. And uh, that was a sort of a twofold thing where it would introduce the Ultraman characters to Hawaiians again. But it was mostly to stimulate tourism to Hawaii from Japan by using the Ultraman characters. Oh, okay, gotcha. And, and using the Ultraman characters and kind of adding them to your vacation. So they did that. And at the same time, Subaraya Productions went to good old KIKU TV in Hawaii, which is, you know, still the biggest broadcaster for Japanese programming in Hawaii that's uh, not cable. And they started running uh, Ultraman Leo. Oh, I yeah, remember that. that yeah, you, you were telling me about that. Yeah, they, they originally, they, uh, picked it up. I think it was January or December of 2013 and it ran through December 2014 because there's, you know, like 50 something episodes and that was subtitled in English. And, uh, that had been the first time that series has ever been broadcast on American television. And so Kiku was very kind of low key about promoting it. Mm-hmm. And they said no reruns because some of their Japanese programs they rerun for people who might have missed an episode. Okay. That's a tradition they've been doing since at least the seventies. So they, uh, you know, said one time only broadcast. So they were able to broadcast the show with English subtitles. And that also tied into the tourism promotion. The next thing you know, Ultraman Leo's not even off the air in Hawaii. And then Crunchyroll says, we've got Ultraman Leo. 
Okay, so I'm assuming that Ultraman Leo, right? That was a deal that they worked directly with Subaraya, right? Right. I think Subaraya probably approached them. Okay, but is Crunchyroll um, working with Subaraya, or are they working with? Yes. Oh yeah. no, no. Uh, let's let's make this very clear because there is like confusion over what's happening and, and who owns what and well, who's claiming to own what. Mm-hmm. So in the alleged contract that was allegedly signed by Nobuo Subaraya, Chayo claims the rights to the two films, Hanuman and the Seven Ultramen or Seven Ultra Brothers, okay. also known as the Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army, and Jumbo Gase and Giant, the feature film. The series Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra 7, Return of Ultraman, Ultraman Ace, and Ultraman Taro, which brings us to 1973. The next series after Ultraman Taro was not included in that, which was Ultraman Leo. Okay, cool. So for overseas distribution, Subaraya is free and clear from any of the other shows they produced after Ultraman Taro. Gotcha. So, you know, there's Ultraman Leo, then you go to Ultraman 80, and then you start going into the animated Ultraman show that was produced between Leo and 80, and uh, the series that came after, you know, and then Ultraman Tiga, Ultraman Dyna, Gaia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And on and on and on. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, some licensors have approached Subaraya Productions, and uh, Subaraya Productions have said, yeah, we can license all this stuff to you. Mm-hmm. And they've also been approached about the earlier stuff. That is, you know, part of these alleged Chayo contract. And they have referred people saying, we can't distribute those. And that's, you know, part of the Tokyo Supreme Court decision. So they allegedly, here's another allegedly. Okay. I've heard that people who have approached Subaraya to license the earlier shows, like Ultraman 66, have been referred to UMC or UM Corp. Corporation. This is a name that also pops up. They are based in Tokyo. The guy in charge says that he's a former employee of Subaraya Productions. Okay. He had joined, this is past tense, and it's still ongoing apparently. This isn't recent. This is a while back. He had teamed up with Mr. Sands. And Mr. Sands, according to a book that was published that this person, the CEO of UMC, is this guy, Moriaki Uematsu, who says that he was a former Subaraya Productions employee. He put out this multi-hundred-page book in Japanese. It's also, I guess, it's got documents in it that are in Thai and Chinese as well. It's called uh, Ultraman and Copyright. Yeah, I'm looking on their website right now. <laughs> yeah. What is the deal with this book? The book basically is their own engine for self-promoting that they have the rights to this stuff. In the book, Mr. Uematsu claims that Chayo gave him the rights to those shows, Ultra Q through Ultraman Taro, for worldwide distribution. This is bizarre, man. It's right. it's weird. It's almost like uh, if you hear the old video game, is it Street Fighter? It says, like, another player has entered the ring or right. something. And this is for outside of Asia. Oh, so Chayo would have the rights, according to this agreement and Chayo, Chaya would have the rights to distribute in Asia, and this company, UMC, would distribute the rest of the world. Right. So you have this really weird thing going on, because this recent press conference that Mr. Sands was at in Los Angeles, you know, there was no representation, or I don't know if there was a mention of of UM Corp or UMC. There may have been. I can't recall from reading. I think it was the report from Tokusatsu Network. 
And, uh, you know, I was talking to a couple people from Tokusatsu Network and filling some blanks in for them as well. So they're working on another story about this whole mess. Cool. So, you know, as far as the people who've been referred to by Subarai Productions, allegedly, that we don't own the rights to those six shows, so you have to go and contact UMC. But if you want Ultraman Leo through whatever that is on TV now, we can sell you those shows. And so that's what's happening, you know, with Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll said, well, let's just start picking this stuff up. Right? Yeah, yeah. And of course, Super Eye Productions wanting to flex their muscles of ownership of the Ultraman series, you know, started the thing in Hawaii, this is the waters with Ultraman Leo in uh, on Honolulu Television, which was, you know, a uh, cable cast, you know, all, all across the islands. Mm-hmm. And now we go into the United States. Now, not only are Crunchyroll's streaming, streaming also, I think, includes Canada. So it's North America, which is usually a standard contract with the Japanese company for a program or a movie. It's usually North American territorial rights. Okay. But it's also the UK and Latin America. So yeah. this is a much wider swath. You know, that Crunchyroll is reaching and Subaraya Productions is reaching with Ultraman Leo, Ultraman 80, Ultraman Max, and Ultraman Mabius. Okay. And I've been told by insiders at Crunchyroll, and I, by insiders, I don't mean the, the janitor, custodial engineer, but people that actually make things happen. That's at, too at bad, man, because Fred the janitor is actually cool. Yeah, Fred, Fred's, he's an awesome, <laughs> awesome guy. But he has nothing to do with licensing. That's true, but, that's true. But they are talking about doing more Ultraman stuff. So you have all this happening last year. Yeah. Right. And everyone's excited. The fans are going like, oh, we can finally, see. even though I've watched, you know, bootleg fan subs and, and, uh, you know, not that fan subs are bootlegs because fan subbing is not a crime. <laughs> Let's just sell them. Right. You, you know right. what I'm talking about. I so know people exactly have seen this stuff, about, yeah. but it's really funny or, or not funny, but it's, it's humorous in a good way, in the best way possible that when they become legitimately streamed, you know, or available, you know, that, People kind of flip out, even though they've already seen it or they've watched most of it. And so they kind of jump on the bandwagon. But this last round, this biggest aggressive round coming from Chayo is on the heels of all this. True. So how do you think Subaraya is going to play with this announcement here yeah. in the U.S. with uh, Chayo saying that they're going to make these things? Now, I would hope that because they are, even though it's a loose foothold in Hawaii and via streaming, right? They, they've got something. I mean, that's yeah. They've There's got some Ultraman sort of finally in the United there. States. Yeah. yeah, you know, available for people to see outside of Japan. And you know, it's always been a tough sell, even to you know the UK and and other countries like that. So now uh, these are accessible. Subray is aggressively going after the foreign market that they could have done a long time ago, but they were being a little more obstinate and holding out for money. And, you know, I'm sure that they worked sweetheart deals for a company like Crunchyroll that normally focuses on getting the hottest anime titles they can, Mm -hmm. you know, to invest in live action stuff and stuff from the 70s and 80s, as well as the newer Ultraman stuff. You know, they worked out some kind of a sweetheart deal. And at the same time, you also have the biggest manga imprint outside of Japan, Viz Media putting out the recent 2005 that's still continuing. It was launched in 2005, the new Ultraman manga. And the first volume comes out in August. Yeah. It's available for pre-order on Amazon and wherever you order your comic books, you know? So that's coming out in August, translated into English volume one. And for those who don't know what that is really quickly, it's a direct sequel to the original Ultraman set 30 years later. And now Hayata is one of the higher ups. 
and his son is the primary character in it. It's not the Ultraman you grew up with, but it's set in that same world. So that's going to be coming out. It's pretty exciting. And I think Bluefin, which distributes, you know, Monster Arts and all this other stuff, for those of you who don't know, which is one of you listening to this <laughs> podcast. I'm sure everybody knows that. Um, they announced that they were putting out the figure of this new, like, sort of, it's a uh, kind of like an Evangelion version. It's yeah. kind of like an EBA unit of Ultraman. I, I would say instead of, you know, how the original Ultraman looks like he's wearing a foam rubber suit, this right. Ultraman looks more like he's wearing straight-up futuristic body armor. Well, yeah, the deal with this one is is that it actually is a robot. Oh, it is? Okay. That Hayata Sun pilots. Cool. So it's it's more like Mazinger Z, but they make the robot look like Ultraman. I just got a little more interested in this uh, yeah. series. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the premise that this is that it, it, it jumps from. So you know, uh, Bluefin announced that they're doing this figurine, which I guess is a, a non-posable figurine, and it was scheduled for a release around the same time as the manga to come out. And apparently, Bluefin has just canceled all orders for it. Yeah, I totally had that pre-ordered, and I totally yeah. got it canceled. Yeah, so this may or may not tie into what's going on. Interesting. Okay. With this latest round, and you know, if you start adding all these players in, you need a scorecard, man. You really need a scorecard with how frustrating this has become because, you know, you could describe something like this as blood in the water and a shark feeding frenzy with the victim being Super Eye Productions. True. But this is not a shark feeding frenzy because that's being too kind. Actually, it's a piranha feeding frenzy because they're these little nasty creatures, not a majestic great white. Yeah. <laughs> And there's more than one of them, you know? So you have some Pote, you have Uematsu in Tokyo, and then you have this other company called Tiga International. Okay, hang on. I've never even heard about this company. Now, Tiga International uh, has offices in Bangkok, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. They've been filing suits against Mr. Sands. <laughs> Because they're claiming that they have all the merchandising rights to all um, Ultraman characters and related. Wow, man. I just, I, you know, I, I'm going to say this. It is very obvious to me today that the last time, you know, the Ultraman rights and all this stuff got sort of tossed up in the air and we had a somewhat similar situation, I just wasn't paying attention to Ultraman stuff. Right. So for me, all of these battles and all of these uh, people involved, it's absolutely shocking. And I can't imagine that there aren't other people in the listenership that are feeling the same way. Uh, right. Because, uh, you know, that Ultraman, the original Ultraman show and Ultra Q, right. I hold in very high regard. I absolutely love those shows. And as a newer fan to that kind of thing, this is jolting me a little bit. I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't realize there's another company involved with this. Right. And they have successfully, apparently, blocked Sampote. I should just note that going back and forth with the folks at Tokusatsu Network, they're working on a bigger story. So I've been feeding them, you know, some information that I have. Sure. Filling in some blanks for them. And they're going to be investigating. They asked me, are you going to write a story on this? And, you know, I know that other people are working on similar articles for their websites or whatever. No, I'm not. This is my outlet talking on the Kaiju cast. 
about this particular topic because it's so convoluted. There's so many pieces to it. It's just so layered and parts of it are murky as hell. And, you know, really my main interest in which it always has been, although some of these things are, you know, interesting. This, this is an epic battle, you know, for a, a really important thing of the genre. You know, I mean, Ultraman is, himself is at stake and it's interesting, but you know, I've always been more interested in the behind the scenes of how these shows were developed and made and produced mm-hmm. and not really these other things. I mean, I'm going to follow this, of course. I'm not like ignoring it. I just don't have the energy or the enthusiasm because it's so negative to really want to try to write anything about it. And I think there are people covering it that are going to be able-bodied enough to do it justice to covering this ever-changing and ever-evolving and continuing debacle. And of course, you know, so this press conference gets dropped you know, we don't know if UMC is involved still with Chayo starting this new company in Los Angeles called Ultraman Incorporated. I think in Thai, Ultraman Incorporated translates out as Crime Incorporated. <laughs> but don't quote me on that. I'm not entirely yeah. sure. I don't know Thai. Um, <laughs> it's a, just a bad translation. It's just a bad translation. Yeah. That's, that's Googled. <laughs> that's a Babblefish translation. Nice. That's a Piranha Fish translation. So you have those guys. You have, you know, this... Tiga International, which Tiga is spelled T-I-G-A in capital letters. And people might say, it's funny they call themselves Tiga. Did they call themselves that after Ultraman Tiga, the TV show? Well, when they did the original Ultraman Tiga show back in 96, we uh, were given some information directly from Subaraya Productions to, you know, write an article introducing Tiga to the United States. And in that, it said that the writers came up with calling Ultraman Tiga Tiga because Tiga means three in Indonesian, and that Ultraman would be the first one with three forms. So there you go. You learned something else tonight, or maybe you didn't. Some of you were sitting <laughs> I, there going, I already <laughs> knew that, Mr. Know-it-all. But, I don't uh, know how many but, listeners we have that, that would know that. <laughs> right. You know, I don't know. There's probably a lot of people out there who know it. I mean, it, you know, the show's old, man. It's, it's, it's a while back. It's an oldie but a goodie. But, you know, you have this company, Tiga International, nipping at the heels. Now you have these guys. And then, of course, what is it? A week after that story came out and the press conference, which, interestingly enough, Mr. Sampote threw for the Thai American media in Southern California. Nobody from any of the regular Hollywood outlets were invited to this press conference. Or if they were invited, they declined. Huh. But I was given the impression that they weren't invited. Okay. You know, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, LA Times, etc. Nobody. It was just for the Thai media specifically. And I don't know what the motivation is there for, but you can come to your own conclusion on that one. But, yeah. So, you know, we go a, a week or so later and then Hollywood Reporter starts talking about another Ultraman copyright infringement thing, this time leveled against Subaru Productions. Yeah, this is the one one of the listeners, Nicholas Cloutier, posted it on the page, and I had never even heard of UMC before. But then as I was reading it, I got really confused as to who was suing who right? and where the real problem lies. Right. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so now the latest thing, and there's there's been so much going on. You know, there really has been so much going on with all of this. It's kind of hard to sort everything out, like I said. And that's a big part of the problem is who's suing who? Why are they suing them? Why is this happening at all? (laughs) You know? That's a great question. Why is this happening at all? Yeah. 
you know, and it's like, did, you know, Noboru Subaraya sign that piece of paper for real back in, you know, 76, allegedly? Was it forged? Did the people who were involved not expect anyone to see it? Was it supposed to be something that, if it's true, was, you know, thrown in a desk, you know, that nobody would ever see ever again? Yeah, you know, yeah. And, you know, so now you have the Hollywood Reporter talking about people suing them for their own YouTube channel. I want to recap it for the listeners, but to be perfectly honest, I just, like I said, it doesn't even make any sense. So uh, right. just to literally reiterate what you were just saying, Tsuburaya Productions' own YouTube channel has been putting episodes of some Ultraman series on YouTube, right? Originally, what they did when they first started their channel is they had various episodes of different shows that they produced, you know, whether it be Ultraman, Ultra 7, Mirror Man, you know, any of their shows. And they would do the one episode thing. And then if, if you, as an American, you're going like, oh, that's cool. And you click on it, it says not available for your country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at some point in the last year or so, they decided to uh, take some of that content off, keep it on their Japanese YouTube. A lot of stuff migrated from YouTube to Hulu in Japan. So there is a Japanese Hulu, and uh, if you have a Japanese IP, for those yeah, of you who have yeah. the rerouted IPs, you know you can watch all this stuff on you know on on Hulu Japan. So they started putting up content of the recent Ultraman, the side story sagas and all that, and uh, the Ultraman Retsuden. Okay, they've been putting those things up. So and some of them are previews, some of them are like little mini episodes, and in those, those aren't any of the shows that fall under the UMC contract. So none of the stuff available, which now, you know, Americans can click on those and watch the Ultraman Retsuden, and they're subtitled. Did you know that? I did not know. This is the yeah. first time I'm hearing about the Ultraman Retsuden. I think the only thing I've ever seen on YouTube or sought out on YouTube from Subaraya is their new, it's like a TV show that's tied into some game video. Yeah, yeah, that's all, yeah. that's all, that's what it is. That's Oh, Ultraman that's what Retsuden. we're talking about. Oh, okay, I didn't know yeah. that was the name of it. So, you know, if you look on their YouTube channel, on Super Eyes YouTube channel from an American IP, right? You don't see, hey, look, they've got episodes of Ultraman and episodes of Ultra Q to watch. That's not on there. It's just all the Retsuden stuff. Gotcha. Okay. And then there's like trailers for other things like Busca and some of their other offshoot characters. So now you have UMC trying to claim that this is a copyright infringement because here's the latest loophole they're trying to exploit. Oh. That since UMC has the original Ultraman. All of the Ultraman characters created after the original Ultraman by Subaraya are infringements of the first Ultraman. Oh, my God. Which they are claiming to own the rights to. It's sort of like, here's sort of an analogy in reverse. Remember when the sci-fi, I'm bringing up the sci-fi channel again, folks. They're <laughs> okay. not paying me. I'm not on their payroll. When the sci-fi channel were running the Godzilla film, the 70s Godzilla films that they had, which were what? It was Godzilla on Monster Island, Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster. Well, at some point back in the late 70s, really weird thing happened. You know, I was uh, working with Bob Wilkins, who was our horror local horror host on KTVU Channel 2. Right. And uh, he told me, hey, you know, uh, this is the late 70s because his show, the show in question that I was working on at the time, Captain Cosmic which is a daytime show that ran episodes of Ultraman, and sometimes they cut up Godzilla movies and showed them in five parts over the week, uh, you know, and Star Blazers and Johnny Sacco and all this great stuff. He told me, hey, we just got the package of those three films, Monster Island and Megalon and Cosmic Monster. And he goes, the funny thing is, those are already public domain. 
Really? Because somehow, I don't know what the laws were at the time. You know, those change all the time. All that stuff has evolved to the point where we're at now. Because back then, people didn't think that some movies that came out, people would be watching 20 or 30 years later, let alone 10. Yeah. You know? So somehow, cinema shares let their rights elapse. So you could get a print of, let's say, Godzilla versus Megalon. Sure. They would have to be the cinema shares versions with the cinema shares logo on there somewhere, or it would have to be the title is Godzilla on Monster Island or Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster. You could show those all you wanted, and that's what Sci-Fi was doing. Sci-Fi got public domain prints, and they were running those public domain prints for years. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, because the titles of those films fell in the public domain. Crazy. Okay. That's, so uh, would, yeah, th- that's yeah. the kind of thing I'm used to hearing pre-1995. Right. This is pre-1995, pretty much, right? So, you know, it's in that time frame. Okay, gotcha. Of course, you know, there's the famous story of the multi-Hugo award-winning artist, Bob Eggleton, that Bob had lunch with uh, uh, Mr. Tomiyama, Shogo Tomiyama from Toho, who was the producer of all the the later Godzilla films in the 90s and the Millennium series, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was having lunch with Tomiyama, when, and he said, you know, it's great, you know, the sci-fi channel's running these Godzilla movies, but they have these ugly pan-and-scan cropped prints. Oh, right. Yes. I think I did hear this story. Right. And, yeah, and he, yeah. you know, you know, he said they should be in the widescreen versions. They should show the widescreen because those old versions look so bad now. They look so bad and they're pan and scan. And, you know, so it somehow worked out where Toho approached Sci-Fi Channel, which was kind of a big entity, maybe to Toho at the time. So they said, hey, if you take those off the air, we'll give you these to run. Yeah, and that's cool. I don't, I don't really know if there was an exchange in there. But if you notice, when the title screens came up, they used the same titles. They used Godzilla and Monster Island at first. Uh, I believe they used – somebody's going to correct me and call me an idiot, and I don't know what I'm talking about. But that, that may be the case. But I do remember very clearly, because I recorded them multiple times, right? Yeah. And I have them somewhere. I just have to look at them. But I know that they did a new title card for Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster. What Toe was able to do, because – they wanted to exert their control over those three films. So there's a difference between the content and the title in a film. So there were some people that were going back and trying to regain control of a copyright on a film that fell in the public domain, like Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. by copywriting the music in the film because they couldn't copyright the title or the film itself. So was there actually somebody in America trying to use those copyright loopholes to do something to the Godzilla series? No, not at all. Okay, they, except okay. that Toho couldn't stop anyone from showing those three movies. Right, right. Or putting them out on video. Now, has Ultraman had any of those same issues with copyright and name? Well, this is what I'm alluding to, uh, exactly what I'm trying to allude to. But the with the case of Toho to wrap that up so people aren't on the the, the sure. you know the clip on this what <laughs> yeah. they did is they 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 put those new versions out widescreen beautiful copies gave them the sci-fi channel and the title cards they did new title cards for each one of them that explicitly said you know toho on it and then they also put the got registered over oh, godzilla's name okay yeah you know what we were just watching uh and this is a new very new movie we were watching godzilla against mecha godzilla right and when the the japanese titles came up and then they've mm-hmm. got those ugly white font titles that come up over right over top the of the japanese one. yeah yeah uh, one of my co-hosts was like do we really need kind of the registered trademark on both and now i know why they do that yeah 
And that's exactly why Toho has done that. If you still have any one of those cinema shares prints, if you tried to put that on video now, so we go to the case of that one company uh, that I can't remember their name that tried to put out a DVD of Megalon, one of those nostalgia merchant companies that, you know, had put out like War of the Monsters and Majin and, and uh, Killer Shrews and all that stuff. Yeah. Putting out PD stuff. They went to go put out Megalon. But Toho didn't get them for the fact that they were putting out the film. Toho got them for the fact that Godzilla is in the name of the film. They got them on just the usage of Godzilla. That's how they stopped them. Oh, that makes sense. So now we go back to this thing that's happening where these guys are claiming, well, we own the rights to the original Ultraman. Ha ha. (laughs) And uh, when in actuality, all they have are the rights to distribute the show outside of Asia, and Chaiho has the rights for Thailand. Yeah. They can't do anything beyond Thailand, allegedly. So this is how they're working. They're going through separate entities. They're forming different companies to create this chain of attack against Super Rai Productions. That's so bizarre, man. You know, so now they're making this complaint, and there's this other company that's mentioned in this Hollywood Reporter article. You know, you have Verdana Entertainment. <laughs> They're named after a font. Yes. So this is the funny thing. When BCI Eclipse put out Ultraman about 10 years ago, that mm-hmm. was 2005. Yeah. When they put out Ultraman, you look at the packaging and, you know, you don't see Chayo. You see UMC and Golden Media Group. And Golden Media Group was a company out of LA. It was an Aussie business guy, film producer that started this thing. And he was distributing Jackie Chan movies in the United States and Kung Fu films from Hong Kong. This guy was a legit distributor. And he represented a lot of films and catalogs and, uh, you know, licensed those to DVD labels, home video. Before sure. That. Yeah. And so he had Ultraman, Ultra Q and Ultra 7 through UMC. And, you know, over the last couple of years, as I occasionally will check the Golden Media website, it has fallen into complete disrepair. I don't know what's going on. I haven't looked at it probably about a year. Okay. But there was nothing new on it. But they did say, you know, we have Ultraman. You know, and they, they mentioned, I think they probably mentioned Ultra Q on there some, somewhere too, probably. Hmm. But if you look at the Shout Factory packaging, it'll say Golden Media Group or UMC somewhere or have the UMC logo and mention Golden Media Group and there's no Chayo anywhere. Gotcha. Okay. So you had Golden Media Group now enter Verdana Entertainment, which UMC is claiming that they transferred the rights as the exclusive rights holders to the earlier Ultraman shows, the one that I've mentioned several times, Ultra Q through Ultraman Taro, and <laughs> to this company called Verdana Entertainment last year, 2014. I can that just was stated, imagine. That was stated in the complaint UMC is bringing against Subaraya. Okay. I can imagine a judge throwing this out of court for it being too confusing. Right. And so what has happened is Verdana started, I didn't even know this. I wasn't aware of this, and I don't think any fans heard of it, and it's probably because nobody really crossed it. But Verdana started posting episodes on their YouTube channel of Ultra Q, Ultraman, and Ultra 7. And then Subaraya issued them a cease and desist. Wow. And then so Subaraya, what was the quote here? Let me look at the article. When Verana posted episodes of the series on YouTube, the site's content ID system meant to deter infringement identified other posts of the same episodes, quote, indicating that Subaraya is illegally airing entire episodes of the Ultraman works, end quote. Subaraya then contacted the distributor, which would be Verdana, 
and demanded to remove the episodes, which it did, fearing a lawsuit from the company. But then it says that Subarai allegedly warned the distributor it owns the Global Lights, the Ultraman series, and UMC is in the clear of the 76 agreement. TPC presently claims ownership of all Ultraman works. It is uploaded to YouTube in 256 countries worldwide. Crazy, man. This so, you know, you've ridiculous. got, you know, of course, they're arguing over the shows. They're trying to say that if your character looks like Ultraman, then you're infringing on an R copyright, which they don't have any copyrights. UMC, Chayo, they have no copyrights. They have the license. They have sort of ownership of the physical media, uh-huh. but they don't own the image. They can use the image for promotion, for packaging. But they can't, you know, sell the rights, the ancillary rights, the toy companies. Uh-huh. They can't produce new movies, even using the old characters. And going back to that, producing this new movie, which has the longest title since the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies, <laughs> which this is Ultraman and Gomorrah in the Tokyo Olympic Crisis 2020. That's a good long title. Yeah. It really rolls off the tongue. Yeah, that's the whole plot right there. Why go bother seeing the movie? Yeah. You know, explicitly, it's the original Ultraman, which they don't have the rights to use. <laughs> right? Yeah. They can't make new movies to begin with. I think somehow in Sampote's head, he is thinking, I can't make new characters. But what if I make movies with the old characters? Yeah. That I, you know, the Tokyo Supreme Court says I have those shows, so I can use Ultraman or Ultra 7 or Ultraman Taro if I want to. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they've got on the table, they've got a Gamora named Gamola, uh, but uh, they've got a Gamora statue and they've got a Jiras statue mm-hmm. uh, or figure. And I am sitting here looking at my laptop, looking at the, the Jiras figure. And then yes. directly behind my laptop, I have the, um, oh man, I've already forgotten the name of it, but the giant or great monster version of the 1964 Godzilla figure right. from Bandai, which is, yeah. you know, about an 18 inch tall figure. It's huge. Yeah. The sculpt yeah. is very, very recognizable. Yes. And this thing that they have labeled Giras is basically that figure, which I know you can buy a bootleg model kit off of eBay. They have that figure and they've put the frill around it and repainted it terribly to look like giraffes. <laughs> so this is like the, the big awesome conclusion that I came to the other day. If Tsuburaya is not going to step up and like try and claim their copyright worldwide, I would say, I think that Bandai should step in because they own like 30% or something like that of Tsuburaya. And yeah, say, they have a 30% interest in the yeah, company. Yeah, so they, Bandai should say, hey, this is a clear ripoff of our figure that we put out. I mean, that that's copyright infringement absolutely right Well, yeah, there. and also just the use of Gomorrah. Sure, yeah. Because Chayo tried to befriend or did befriend Tol Narita, who designed all those monsters back in the day. And somehow, I think he believes that Narita has given him the blessing to do whatever he wants with his designs. It's just another one of those cuckoo ideas when he was going to put out those Ultraman art books a few years ago. A lot of the art was pulled out of existing Japanese books that still had the writing on them. Yeah. On them. Like, I, he had these things in his collection. <laughs> I'm just going to, we're just going to high-res scan these. Yeah. And these would be the pages of the book that I put out, you know. Yeah. You, not only do you have, like... 
Gomora, which is a, you know, is a copyright protected character with multiple variations. It's not only Bandai, but it's a Subaraya character. But we get into the weird quasi Toho kind of ignores Juras, but is Toho going to ignore Juras from Sempote? I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, I, I really do want somebody to step in and squash this down and make some sort of, uh, be all end all thing. Now I understand Mr. Sands can, uh, can appeal as many times as he's allowed to, which I don't know if there is a limit on that. Yeah. I'm not, you know, it's like, I'm no expert. I'm no expert yeah, at all. Yeah. And I'm, and 99.9% of the people listening to this show are, are not, uh, experts when it comes to, you know, Asian, uh, IP laws. Yeah. And also certainly, you know, world IPs. But as far as, you know, the United States is concerned. I'm no expert either, but I just go by what has happened in the past. And mm-hmm. if, if Toho can sue Subway over a paper mache dinosaur claiming it's infringing on Godzilla. Yeah. And Sampote, yeah. Sampote better, you know, pull up stakes and go home. It would be kind of funny. Uh, not because I love Toho's lawyers. I'm not a fan of them, but it would be kind of funny to. Say, hey, Toho lawyers, uh, this company, Subaraya, might be able to use your help. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the other thing is, is that I think, you know, if this thing goes into development, it's going to, it's going to end up like they're probably, if, if Toho's waiting for anything, a press conference doesn't mean Jack. Mm-hmm. It's when they show proof of intent. When you get into the fact that if they go to Con Film Festival or they make an announcement and do pull another colossal. Yes. Yes. You know, if they pull a Colossal and they're putting out a poster that's got Juris on it and Gamora on it and Ultraman on it, I think at that point they can approach them. If they start trying to sell those, yeah, I, I guess they're on their extremely fabulous official Ultraman site, and that's how you remember the URL. It's official Ultraman <laughs> site, uh, <laughs> which is the Chio Run site, which, yeah. I mean, come on, man. That's GeoCities 1995 right there. <laughs> It's that fantastic. It's amazing. It's, oh my God. But I mean, they had the products, uh, when you mentioned the, the art books from 2013, yeah. they had a different website. Yeah. That, that was the website well. of the, that was the website of the former bootlegger that yeah, walked yeah. off with all of Mr. Sampote's money. Yeah. So, um, we've been talking for quite some time. I just want to throw this out there for the listeners. This is something that I got from Keith. He said on Facebook that in 2001, Chayo announced a bunch of stuff like a TV show, a movie, and they said they were in post-production and they never produced anything. In 2003, they said that same movie, Ultraman Millennium, was going to be released in 2004 and it never did. Additionally, another theme park was going to open in 2004. Right. Never did. Right. Uh, uh, Mr. Sands in 2004, saying that he was working with top Hollywood filmmakers to make a big budget Ultraman movie. Right. Obviously, we didn't get that. 2005, Chayo said their Chinese Ultraman series Project Ultraman was completed and would air in China in 2006 and Thailand in 2007, and it apparently did not. Right. 2013, what we were just talking about, they never produced those items. And here we are in 2015. My prediction is that basically there's not really anything's going to happen with the Chayo right. stuff. Well, <laughs> you know, the, getting the, produced at least. The, the interesting thing is that the Chinese series was produced. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. 
the Ultraman project was produced and they got a couple of really big Chinese movie stars to be in it. Aiken Chen was one of them who was in Storm Riders with Sonny Chiba. Okay. Sat on it because it was a violation of what they were allowed to do. They can't release it in any way, shape or form, but it was made. Oh, okay. So it and was a, made. And according to Mark Jarmillo, Mr. Sand said that the entire series was produced. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And Ultraman Millennium allegedly was also produced, but the same thing happened to that. Okay. Or at least they shot some of it. Enough you stuff know. for a trailer, maybe. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. If that. But they did get that deal with the, you know, the Chinese series. They did make it. Mm-hmm. This could happen, but when you go into foreign territories, it's hard for some companies to, you know, go after companies in Southeast Asia. Right. American companies or Japanese companies have to deal with bootlegs quite often. And it's hard to stop them because the laws are so different. And by the time you chase someone down, they've changed their name and they've moved their headquarters somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they put out professional looking product. You know, there was that big thing in the early uh, late 90s, early 2000s with all the Hong Kong bootleg DVDs of Japanese TV shows, anime and tokusatsu stuff with English subtitles on them. And they weren't (laughs) DVRs. They were pressed DVDs yeah, with yeah. big fancy packaging and everything at a fraction of even an American price. Yeah, I've got some of those. Yeah. yeah. And they would put some oblique name on the packaging and somebody would try to come after them and look for that address. And it was a totally different address and a totally different name. And if somebody traced somebody down, they would move shop. So mm-hmm. it's hard to go after those people, whereas it's entirely different in the United States. So I think that, you know, um, Mr. Sands is is being very uh, ballsy at the same time, not very bright, and uh, sort of moving the sandbox to Los Angeles mm-hmm. in the United States because our laws are very clear. Um, and if they try to produce an Ultraman movie here, Subarai is really going to have to step up to the plate and pursue a lawsuit on U.S. soil. If you had to guess, give some sort of percentage, how sure would you be that something is going to happen and uh, it's going to make a significant impact on this ultra mess? There you go. Right. I have uh, basically well, named I, the episode right now. <laughs> with all of Sampote's grandstanding about how he wants to share Ultraman with the world and make these great movies and, and things that, you know, Subaraya isn't doing and should be doing, uh, blah, 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 whatever he happens to be saying this week. It's all BS. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's all BS is all he's trying to do is provoke Subaraya and try to wrestle more rights back or try to wrestle things away or chip away at them. Because apparently he is pretty wealthy and he's a bit of a kook. So he's not going to give up. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's going to keep pursuing this and he's just chipping away at them. He's challenging them at every turn. And by filtering everything through these companies like UMC and Ultraman Incorporated, you know, and now this Verdana, whatever it happens to be, you know, there's a lot of things going on that he is just going after them viciously and repeatedly just for that he doesn't really care about producing an ultraman movie he just really wants those rights he really wants those rights because it's a big license you know they keep talking about they even mention at the press conference will smith is a big fan of ultraman so we would get will smith to be the ultraman in our movie yeah 
yeah. in a pig's eye. That's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, they they may be able to raise some money. Like if they put out a poster that's got Ultraman on it, you know, when they're asserting that they're going to use the original Ultraman, they're going to get shut down. Yeah. Well, let's you hope know? so, man. They're trying to drag Subaraya through court, 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 court. Because you have to pay for lawyers, you have to pay for attorneys, and they're trying to financially wear Subaraya down by filing case after case after case after case. In the United States, Subaraya could turn around and get them for, you know, uh, I think it's called gratuitous interference, which is just filing frivolous lawsuits mm-hmm. to sort of financially disrupt Subaraya yeah, productions. Exactly what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, and I think that's part of it. And he wants to keep control of the shows he's got. And he wants to build upon that by extending these rights. Like, well, I have the right to the Ultraman. So therefore I own Ultraman, mm-hmm. the character and the way he looks, his design which was already contested and he lost all of that, you know, in the last decade. And here it comes again. But I think if they can get into court here, I think any judge would see that this is clearly nonsense, you know, and I don't think a U.S. judge would really accept that Honko stamp because that wouldn't be recognized as a legitimate signature yeah, uh, no, by, totally you know, by a United States court of law. Totally agree. We could speculate back and forth, and it's just going to go like a dog chasing its tail. We just have to keep tuned to this story because, you know, I think Subaraya or whatever entity representing Subaraya needs to step up to the plate. And I think they're just waiting for more of this stuff that's happening because you had the press conference. You have this thing with uh, the YouTube content being challenged. And this is all, you know, within a year of all this Ultraman content being licensed to the United States legitimately through Superaya Productions. Yeah, yeah. The shows that they own. And it, this is kind of apparent to me that Sampote's pissed that Superaya is licensing these things and he's not getting anything into the U.S. territory. Mm-hmm. This is completely vindictive because it's absolutely insane. <laughs> You know, what he's doing. And as far as the Blu-rays, I mean, people could cheer that, you know. Well, you know, they license through UMC. They license now to, I guess, Verdana Entertainment. Yeah. You know, the three shows, Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra 7 to begin with. You know, there's the press release from the press conference said they were going to do more, right? They were going to do the other shows, Ace, Return of, and Taro, and Jumbo Days. And why people could be pretty much stoked about this, the fact of the matter is, Chayo and whatever entity they're working through or licensing to do not have the original film elements to work with. Yeah, so they're going to have to buy the Japanese Blu-rays and then rip them or something, right? That would be the only way they could put out a legitimate 1080p Blu-ray. Yeah. And as it stands right now, you know, you only have the first three shows on Blu-ray in Japan, Q, Man, and Seven. The other ones will be coming out in the near future. But Maybe Subaraya might, you know, decide that they're going to wait. You know, they already have done <laughs> totally. the HD transfers for them, which were shown on the Wow Wow Network. I guess what I would like to know in the long run is, is there going to be some sort of, and this is, we're not pontificating anymore, but I just want there to be some sort of resolution right. that, that doesn't, you know, have to keep going back to the drawing boards because... As far as I'm concerned, I mean, it's all entertainment and yeah. the behind the scenes stuff is, like you said earlier, it's actually more fascinating than the shows themselves. It almost sickens me to like even think of this negativity that always happens when you're dealing with licensing. <laughs> like, this yeah, is well, the it's, kind of it's thing not that, only just the real ugliness of the parties involved. Yeah. No matter who they are, you know, the situation is really, you know, an ugly, negative situation. You know, it, you really can't blame Subaraya as an entity 
there is a contract to be honored, but all the dishonorability that's been done by these other parties. Yeah. You know, every company has its ups and downs and has their bad sides and their good sides, just like every individual walking, breathing on this planet right now. If it was a mistake made by Noboru Tsuburaya in 1976, trying to keep his company solvent and from going bankrupt, mm-hmm. in a way, if he did that, he still succeeded because the company is so big. It's still going. They're still making Ultraman, like nearly 20 years after his death. Yeah, yeah. I would side by the way that a person acts, and we've seen what Sampote's done, claiming that he created Ultraman, introduced it to Subaraya and suggested that he should make it, and gave him all the ideas to do it. These are all things that Sampote had claimed in previous lawsuits. Yeah. We know that's complete nonsense. Yeah. So if he produces this piece of paper, we're supposed to believe him because he's got this contract, this one piece of paper. Yeah, I think that's really the, you know, we were talking earlier about the chop and how that isn't really held up as much as it used to be in court in Japan and how that's probably not going to fly here in the States. And I would love for there to be a U.S. lawsuit that sort of like puts that foot down and, uh, Hopefully, Subaraya does step up. Maybe they need one more thing to happen, like in the next couple of weeks, when they say, all right, yeah. we're going to finally get off our asses and do something about this. Well, if they were smart, what they would be doing right now, and they may have already done it, who knows? You know, I mean, through the machinations of, you know, Bandai, uh, Subaraya is under an umbrella of a much larger company. If memory serves, it's uh, one of the biggest pachinko companies. Oh, okay. Which is like saying we're owned by the biggest like video game company in Japan or the yeah. biggest, you know, uh, a slot machine company in the United States, you know? Uh, so they have, you know, they have some weight behind them, you know? So if, if I hope that they've consulted U S attorneys at least, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, then they'll let too. the U S attorneys just wait for the next move that either one of these two or three entities makes. Yeah. You know, so we've got the ball in play in the United States is you've got Sampote establishing Ultraman Incorporated with, you know, whatever those American producers were. And I think it was the Tokusatsu Network article that told us who those people were. Yeah, they said the production team tentatively attached to the project is DKC Productions, who met with other producers at the event on Sunday, one of whom collaborated with Don Murphy, the producer of the 2007 Transformers movie and its sequel, Revenge of the Fallen. Right. So these guys are sort of lower tier production house that are looking for interesting IPs to pick up and produce. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely agree. It's sort of like the two guys who came to, you know, legendary with Godzilla when they, (laughs) when they, after they talked to Bono, you know, it's, it's sort of like in that level. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's the, the sort of the, the progression I think is, is what's happened here. But, you know, until I think they actually, I, they haven't made, they said that they intend to make a movie, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, their setup that they had is kind of a joke, really, at that con- at that press conference, you know. A couple of, you know, figurines on the table and a couple handwritten signs. Yeah, you know? I, I would say if they don't invite, if they're in Hollywood and they're not inviting Variety and the Hollywood Reporter, that's pretty much a joke. Yeah. And pretty much they, you know, they, uh, they did it in a, in a, I guess in a nightclub. It was in a nightclub <laughs> in, in, uh, like a Thai nightclub in Los Angeles is uh, where they did the press okay. conference. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, it all really kind of smacks of, 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 of 
you know, almost, you know, almost like Ed, Ed Wood showmanship, you know, you know, mm-hmm. here's Ed Wood having, uh, you know, a, a pitch, uh, not, what is it, a, a soliciting meeting, you know, trying to raise funds, trying to raise funds at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. You know, yeah. he drags Tor Johnson and Vampira with him, you know, so <laughs> we're going to make the greatest horror film ever, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah. So uh, let's move into some final thoughts kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you, what, if you had to say one more thing about this and, you know, really sell something to the listeners on, on this whole Subaraya, Chayo, Verdana, UMC thing, right. the Ultra Mess, what would you want your parting words to be on that? <laughs> oh, for man. now parting words for now yeah parting words for now um hey sampote drop dead uh, <laughs> besides that no I, w- I would just say that you know that this is not a good situation for fans obviously it's not a good situation for subaraya productions but I don't think they're in any dire straits. You know, they just have these little piranha nibbling at their foot. And, uh, you know, they're just going to have to, you know, bring in the guns. I have a final slug out in court in the United States over this because apparently, you know, Mr. Sampote does not honor any of the decisions that have weighed against his favor. And there's still that question of 2007 of the half million dollars plus interest that stretches back when he first started suing Subaraya, compounded interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the courts and attorney's fees for all the fees that went from Thailand to Tokyo and back to Thailand and back to Tokyo. Sounds expensive to me. I just think that this is a really big mess. It's not going to get resolved anytime soon until Subaraya, uh, Bandai, or whatever other entities that are you know part of the larger corporation that runs Subaraya Productions now actually just takes them to court and they're going to have to take all these separate entities to court. I don't know if they're going to have to go after each one of them individually. Right. You know, in Los Angeles for there's, you know, there's a million such production companies and, and people trying to work with video labels or distribution labels mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. starting their own startup. So yeah. who knows who all these people are, but they're each going to have to be taken on. So it's a big mess. I just hope that it all gets sorted out and then Subaraya really understands if it turns in their favor that there is an American market and they should just finally work with somebody that wants to put the entire catalog out. Oh, that would be so amazing. That because would be so great. Shout Factory would be more than happy working directly with Subaraya because they, when they went to go license Ultra Q and Ultra 7, they approached TPC first and TPC said that or Subaraya TPC, we can't license those to you. Yeah. That's according to Tokyo's Supreme Court decision. And they said, we have to defer you to UMC. But at the same time, they said, if you're interested in all the other stuff we control, we'll be happy to license that to you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it, Shout Factory. Yeah. Well, Shout Factory was mostly interested in Ultra Q and Ultra 7 as part of the first three shows, you know, so cross your fingers, kids. It's going to be a bumpy ride. All right. Well, August, thank you so much, man. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. It's always a pleasure picking your brain, especially if there's something in the news like this. So thanks again. Thanks, man. We will stay tuned. And what flavor popcorn are you going to eat there? I'm going to have some like, uh, Orville Redenbacher, like <laughs> theater butter, man. That's All what right. I'm going with. Movie, movie time butter. I don't know. One of those <laughs> things, man. All right. And, uh, you know, on an interesting final, final, 
is that uh, I will see you not only at G-Fest this year, but I'll see you at G-Fest next year because I might be doing some kind of an ultra presentation next year. That, that would, would be 2016. Oh, yeah. That would be a good time for it. Because that's going to be the 50th anniversary of the original Ultraman and Ultra Q. It's going to be interesting to see how this all turns out a year from now. Yeah. So what we will be talking about at G-Fest. The next 14 months will be interesting. They certainly will. Right on, dude. Well, thanks again. Make sure if you haven't gone out and picked up Eiji Tsuburaya, Master of Monsters, you pick it up. It's available right now in paperback form. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it very much. And hey, have a great rest of your evening, and I will talk to you real soon. Cool. Right on. Thanks a lot. Thank you.